Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name's Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Jorna Taylor is here. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, great to have you. That is me, and good morning, good afternoon. Yes, well, welcome to summer, Jorna. We're now past Memorial Day, so we're in the... Somewhere in shorts and a t-shirt. Yep, beautiful day, and then... Of course, our panel, as always, includes Robert Craig, the executive director here at Citizen Action. Welcome, Robert. A good day, everyone. So, uh, welcome to summer, uh, and it may be the beginning of summer, but here at Citizen Action, we already are preparing for our fall annual Brewfest fundraiser, and this week we just uh, determined the date for that. And so we want to let you know that Thursday, October 12th, here in Milwaukee, we'll be holding, I believe it may be our 10th annual, 9th or 10th annual Brewfest, uh, which is a great time. It generally starts around 5 o'clock on Thursday, October 12th. So put that in your calendars. We hope to see you. Even if you don't like beer, we have wine and other drinks. Uh, we, we generally always do a silent auction. It is a great time. It's a lot of fun. So uh, get it in your calendar. Again, the uh, Thursday, October 12th Brewfest. But hey, let's get into it. Um, we have spent a lot of time uh, talking about a lot of the federal things going on and talking about healthcare in particular. We will get an update on healthcare later in the podcast, but we wanted to start by talking a little bit more about some of the stuff that's going on in the state. In particular, uh, we record uh, this uh, show on Thursday mornings. So last Friday, Good things always happen on Friday, right? Uh, you never put anything out with the trash on Friday afternoon. <laughs> yeah. So you always know it's good news on Friday if uh, economic news comes out. And uh, it was not good news last Friday. Uh, we had some job numbers that came out. And just to remind everyone, the data that I'm going to be talking about is coming from the quarterly census on employment and wages, which our governor has declared as the gold standard for uh, economic numbers well until it until it's not well <laughs> fortunately the media has finally called them on that one and uh, uh, publicly t reminding everyone that uh, this is the gold standard according to to uh, Governor Walker but what it found was that our job growth last year was the worst since the mid 2010s uh, and essentially that we have had the worst particularly in 2016 the worst 12 month private sector job growth since July of 2010. So these are very, very bad numbers. Uh, in addition, uh, the manufacturing uh, sector completely lost jobs. Like we had job loss within manufacturing sector. So it goes without saying that um, the governor remains still well behind his initial quarter of a million uh, goal of jobs. But what's most disturbing is we continue to see a hemorrhaging of manufacturing jobs in spite of the governor and uh, WEDEC and these tax tax credits, over two, uh, 200 million in tax credits, we continue to see a hemorrhaging of jobs. It's, it is worth pointing out that the governor continues to take no responsibility for this. In fact, spent time this week blaming workers and uh, talking about the, the skills gap, which we have talked extensively about being broadly a myth. If you pay low, it's going to be hard to find find workers. But essentially blaming workers for the uh, the the problem in manufacturing and uh, jobs, job creation here in the and state. And we continue to hear from legislators on the right uh, various statements about how there are plenty of jobs, there are just the people to fill them. And, uh, and this sort of argument, right, without taking responsibility for the overall structure of the economy. But we're kind of missing the Walker rule on the economy, which is all good things are his are because of him and all bad things are because of someone else, though who the someone else is is the question because he loved to blame Doyle for the Great Recession as if Doyle created the Great Recession. We're in a recovery and Wisconsin is performing less well than other states. And, you know, he has reduced wages. In fact, you can see his whole economic agenda is about reducing wages. In fact, glutting the market for welders would also reduce wages for welders, just for example. But Act 10, right to work, um, all of these things, and then a, basically an economic policy that gives money, huge amounts, billions, to large corporations with nothing expected in return. 
which is what the Man Ag ta- Manufacturing Agriculture Tax Credit is, obviously is not a way to use our leverage and resources to create a job. It's not an economic strategy unless just helping well-connected CEOs is, is the goal, which it appears to be. So at this point in manufacturing, it would appear that it's a nice goodbye gift for all the manufacturing jobs in the past that companies create as they li- send the jobs somewhere else. Well, and that's what I was just going to chime in here with Robert is it certainly isn't Walker's fault. And, you know, I certainly wouldn't hold WeDuck to blame at all here for any of their outsourcing and they're not holding companies accountable for actually any real job creation in Wisconsin. So not even counting them. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I guess uh, if we're going to put someone to blame, let's blame Democrats in the minority. Well, and it, it is worth pointing out, uh, Walker and the conservatives' argument is that unemployment is, uh, I believe, at historic lows, or I, let's be honest, it, unemployment's at a low since 2000, but we all know how flawed that unemployment figure is because a lot of the folks who are completely dispirited are no longer even looking for, for, for work. And again, Robert pointed out, this is this is about a job quality question, right? When they talk about a skills gap, what they're talking about is they're paying so low a wage for some of these some of these jobs that they can't find people willing to take them or or consistently work at them. They've so uh, brought down the wage wage scales, and here. especially in the Milwaukee area where you build them in suburbs and there's no mass transit to that job. Wait, so that's who we're blaming? The workers? I gosh, I knew it. I knew somebody was to blame. These lazy workers who don't want jobs. Got They're it. On the right wing radio talking points, Jordan. I'm, you know, I'm pretty good at this. Well, look, it's it. This has been the argument. It's been a growing argument over the last four to six years, and it's worth pointing out. Mark Levine, the professor at UWM, and we can put a link to his work, has debunked the notion of a skills gap, especially you know when you have lots of people in some of these trades that still aren't back to work. Right? Uh, you, you have just efforts to suppress wages to the point and and setting up shop in areas where you have a disconnect from where the workers are. That's another big problem. Because we don't have a strategy for that. When WEDAC has been asked, well, why are you creating, claiming as many jobs in Waukesha County, which is much smaller and is very prosperous, as Milwaukee County is much larger and needs more jobs, they're like, well, that's who, that who applied. Walker has said that. That's not an economic strategy, folks. And, uh, and also, quite frankly, we're also on, on, on track next year, according to the National Tax, uh, Wisconsin Taxpayers Alliance, which is a conservative think tank, to set a record on incarceration. And then once people have served time with still throwing nonviolent offenders into jail or people who are mentally ill in large numbers, then they are branded as second-class citizens and can't find jobs, right, uh, for the most part. And so that is part of it. So Walker says he believes in a world where everyone is working and is independent, and that's why we need forced drug testing, apparently in food shares and in badger care, right? Because apparently those are so generous, people can just have health care and food assistance and don't have to work, right? But workforce participation is going down. So the unemployment rate should not be the measure Walker would use if he was not as conservative. It would be the percentage of the state that is working. And by that number, it's also a disaster. Well, look, this, this issue of the economy is going to be central as we head into the 2018 elections. And, and what's really important is that a vision of sort of what Democrats or what a Democratic governor would do uh, to address the current economic state is going to be fundamental because you essentially have Walker almost punting here, right? And essentially well, saying that his policies now, the argument would have to be after eight years, right, that that they're not they're either not working or they're irrelevant to to, to addressing the situation. So okay, it's not wa- going to be wa- enough. Hold on, it's not it's not going to be enough for them just to for, just to say Walker's failing, right? There there needs to be a real agenda laid out. And so huge opportunity here as we're heading into 2018, Robert. Well, that's what I was going to say. The default consultant position would be simply to say Walker's failed at jobs vote for me, right? Because they don't want to ruffle any feathers by having a bold economic agenda that would actually uh, improve things. And the problem is, is that a lot of the state actually doesn't think that our own democracy can expand opportunity. Okay, And so Walker's failure could be interpreted as, well, there's not much that could be done anyway with politics and with governors. So one other thing I want to point out, 
uh, and I want to give a shout out to One Wisconsin Now on, uh, they did some research on that uh, that uh, research that we talked about that came out out of the UW a couple months ago, where they tried to make uh, tried to quantify and suggest by looking at uh, job movement across borders that somehow the uh, manufacturing ag tax credit was actually working on manu and and we just said those numbers didn't add up and this really reveals and lays to bear uh, how flawed that research was and one Wisconsin now found out this week that that uh, was that gentleman that researcher was really looking to try to get work within the Walker administration it just that whole thing seemed fishy so this is all connecting we got a serious economic issue here in the state and uh, it's a it's an opportunity for for progressives and for for leaders new leaders in the state to uh, fill this gap uh, but we got to get out of here we'll be right back after the break Welcome back. So we're going to stay here at the battleground on state issues because a lot of stuff has been moving. Uh, the Joint Finance Committee continues to take up key aspects of the budget. But before we talk specifically about uh, some of the things that have been moving through Joint Finance, Jorna, wanted to get your opinion on a piece of legislation that I know you're very interested in, and it's around the UW system and whether students have the ability to speak up, protest at campus events and what its impact may be. Tell, tell our listeners more about this bill. Well, apparently it's no longer actually up to students whether or not they want to protest because they risk, the, um, they risk being expelled. So there's a piece of legislation that is moving that would basically say that when a controversial speaker comes onto campus, you are not allowed to disrupt or protest or any way hinder with that speaker. Um, but the parameters of that are very, very undefined. And the risk that an overzealous or oversensitive administrator could determine that you're handing out a leaflet, for example, in before people walk in was disruptive to the speaker, could get you expelled if you had, I think it's now down to two strikes and then you would get expelled from school where the university is supposed to be about free speech and, you know, the sifting and winnowing of ideas and you, you have a right to do that. Is, it, is there any is there any other place where something like this exists? Is, is this is this legislation that's moving elsewhere? Is this just look, we know there are some serious haters of the UW and, and, and sort of the, the whole concept of the public institution, the Wisconsin idea. Is this a uniquely Wisconsin thing or? Well, What's the I, I don't know if this particular no. legislation is moving anywhere, but there certainly have been numerous attacks over the past couple of decades on free speech within both um, you know, university systems nationwide, but particularly in the UW system, as we've talked about um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s with the Scott Southworth Supreme Court case, things like that. Um, so this is nothing new that we're seeing. We're just seeing more blatant attacks from Republicans legislatively on restricting under the restricting free speech under the guise of we're just trying to protect the university and you know expand the expression because poor conservatives just aren't getting their messages out on campuses. <laughs> Robert we need to regulate speech in order to protect speech and we need to protect big high price speakers from young undergraduates, right, is what we're saying here. By the way, I wonder what, what they, how they want to punish the Tea Party, because they were kind of impolite, as I recall. Uh, so it is an authoritarian strand, and you can say that now with uh, the conservative Republican Party uh, having Donald Trump as, it, as their president, right, that they want to control it, and they want the ideas to go away. They may say that they think it's about people b b having free speech, and but they want to make the students listen you know, to Charles Murray, the offer of the bell curve, right, to get to get a, a, a racial view of, of inequality, just for example, right, and have some honest debate about that. It also, because you were in student politics, Jorna, it totally <laughs> mischaracterizes what actually goes on. Like some of the young people that are overly boorish and aggressive, they don't necessarily win on the campus. In fact, they turn off a lot of people. And so this is all part of the process of growing up, right? And the idea that, 
all of them are this is like Reagan's depiction of, of universities where he, he he justified huge increases in tuition on the grounds these pampered college kids are just protesting our campuses etc create this right-wing myth and they're still obsessed with universities Charlie Sykes wrote prof scam right they're also obsessed with professors so this is really about their mission to shut down free thought and facts they don't like ultimately because the thing they hate about universities is that they might generate actual facts which are inconsistent with what they want the truth to be as opposed to what it is. Well, and, you know, as this comes on the heels of the piece for the UW system in the budget, the Tommy G. Thompson Center uh, for, you know, free speech and debate. Isn't that what it's called, Matt? Something I, like that? I'm afraid. For the free exchange of conservative ideology. And by the way, you know, the irony of that, that but Tommy was actually not where a lot right. of, like, he wasn't a tea party. He would have been appalled by Voss. Busy expanding Badger Kids. <laughs> right. right? Like, uh, we can pick on Republicans, but this uh, is not, you know, top of my list. But Jornet's an excellent point, right? Like this all fits in with, as Robert was saying, to the the broader anti-intellectual, anti-science being about facts and the, the notion that there is a pursuit of some sort of truth out there that the Wisconsin idea would certainly in then that could be applied to trying to make our communities better, make a better society. And they don't want this sort of fact base. They want everything to be viewed through the prism of its political warfare and propaganda. And so there's our side and there's their side and there's two sets of facts and you all just got to shake it out as opposed to some sort of actual truth out there. They want it to be a battle of Fox versus CNN or some sort of bizarre. I don't think they just want Matt, I think they just want Fox. I think that's my well, <laughs> well, yeah. And let's be clear, you know, we've got, what, the Koch Brothers Center now up at UW-Stout getting built. Isn't it Stout or River Falls? It's Stout. Stout. Uh, we're going to have the Tommy G. Thompson Center in Madison, and now we're going to restrict free speech. The UW actually stands for University of Walker system. Oh, Whoa, you can hashtag... I get credit for that. Oh. And my nephew's about to go to Stout, so I've already he heard about this, like I'm responsible. Well, we but anyway, we uh, look forward to photos and uh, uh, from your visits to the Coke Center. But with that, I, I do want us to spend a couple of minutes briefly talking about some other issues at the state. Um, one is we mentioned the state budget. We have talked extensively about it. We've talked about it the state budget uh, that we released months ago with a number of other organizations to try to really talk about what we could do uh, with the state budget. Unfortunately, we do live in the world of the Republicans in total control. And I will we'll remind our listeners that the budget is currently in the Joint Finance Committee, which is the committee that will send the budget then on to the uh, Senate and the Assembly uh, to each vote on. There are not usually a ton of major changes after joint finance, there, there, but there will be on some big issues. So it's worth pointing out particularly egregious things that come out of joint finance because they can be changed in the Senate uh, and the Assembly. So with that, one thing that I wanted to point out this week, uh, in, on Wednesday they passed a number of things, uh, but the state parks, right, obviously iconic in our state. Um, they have now been given the authority where the Natural Resource Secretary could actually raise state park fees by 62%. Um, so you now would, could pay up to $13 just to enter a state park, which is obviously appalling given these folks are out talking about how they're going to cut property taxes or do this. But, you know, when we actually have things that regular people use, uh, the user fees on these are going up astronomically, and we haven't even gotten into the notion that they want to move to toll roads and other things, And that Robert. this is supposed to be a public park, yeah, right? So it really does become a, a burden on people to actually be able to take advantage of their own public parks that were created with public money, right? So it is an attack on the idea of a public sphere in many ways. And so we'll hear all sorts of great tax savings that they're providing us, and, you know, we are... The, uh, the listeners know where we're going to end up on the Paris uh, Climate Accords. But I just want to say that the Walker administration changed utility rates, allowed we energies and others to do it in a way that punishes conservation. So I pay a lot more in higher utility bills because I conserve uh, than, I, than I've saved in property taxes, just for example. But, you know, that's, it goes it's just back to the fact-based question as well. Yeah, another thing that I want to point out, we talked on previous podcasts about the effort by Governor Walker to cut the DNR uh, magazine. And uh, it is worth pointing out that there was a quite a campaign, and uh, the DNR magazine's subscriptions increased immediately uh, as folks uh, supported that. 
it's important to point out that while it looks like the DNR magazine is going to be saved, it, it's going to be pared back significantly. And, and again, Robert brought up Paris again, and we've talked about science and facts. What's most... Uh, hasn't yeah, in fact hasn't changed no about the spot for that <laughs> about the magazine is it, there's real clear it's very clear that officials don't want things like climate change environmental regulation to be discussed in the magazine and there's no news that that change has has been repealed so um, again this just goes to further point out you know where where the Republicans are on on our environment to just how important this is connected to you know our, our recreation and what a lot of people when they view Wisconsin think of. Uh, one chamber of commerce major state leader told a, a major environmental leader that we're a coal state. So I don't know where the coal is mined in Wisconsin exactly, but maybe someone will tell me. Ho- hopefully never in Devil's <laughs> in Lake. In that West Virginia part of Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we got to get out of here. When we get back, we're going to talk a little more about what's going on in the state. We got healthcare to talk to, and we will talk a little bit about the Paris Climate Accord and Trump. So welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Here uh, we come out of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Check us out. Uh, but we are going to spend a little bit of time talking some more about some bad policy coming out of the state. And uh, as Oh, every- don't say that. Well, as everybody knows, Wisconsin is already a, a state where you uh, can carry a handgun, concealed a ha- conceal a handgun, uh, but you got to go get training, right? False. You got to go get a license. Nope. No. Fake. What? Fake news. No. I- <laughs> Alternative fact. Oh my. So basically, what we are getting to is this week, uh, legislation is moving. It, it was in the Senate. It had a Senate hearing this week, and it is uh, it's a piece of legislation that is actually moving throughout the country. Uh, and it really is this notion that you don't have to have a license, you don't have to have training, and you can pretty much conceal and carry a gun just about anywhere. It's your constitutional right. It's hence constitutional carry, Jorna. Well, Robert, or Matt, you're Matt. Phil. Phil, Bob. Uh, So uh, all you have to do, apparently, is go to YouTube and you can learn how to load a gun because they have videos on there. So, Jorna, tell our listeners a little more about what you're referencing that went on in the committee, the kind of testimony that was given in support of this There was was testimony about um, how you can YouTube things and that that'll be all the training you need, even though some legislators actually said, well, you know, I I think there should be some training, but, you know, they don't have uh, they don't have the gumption to actually require training because then the NRA might stop giving their campaigns money. I don't know. Um, There was also some some quality comments made about how after emancipation, the the blacks, quote, not my words, the blacks were given guns. And so therefore um, there was somehow equality at that point yeah wow it's a little window into the world of some of the folks who support this but um look jordan is again referencing the senate hearing and uh, obviously lena taylor senator taylor was immediately over all over this uh representative from the nra about (laughs) just just... where where does this come from right like it it, uh, it it's it's just but can we put in some cash register sounds here uh, uh, (laughs) but but it's the fact thing, right? So we're back to the Civil War, right? So I'm just wondering how things were equalized. I'm, yeah. I'm curious how African Americans had equality after the Civil War and how guns helped them get the equality they did not get since it's the uh, there was an attempt, failed attempt under Reconstruction to provide actual civil rights. There was massive violence that overturned it, massive white violence in, in the, in, with the KKK and many other such entities where literally blacks were driven out of the political sphere and driven out of any kind of economic independence by violence. And so I just by what was called redemption or redeemers. So I just don't know. I'm glad to hear that apparently not that happened and African Americans achieved equality through guns. Uh, after the Civil War, but as I say, like a lot of right-wingers, it's an alternative reality, apparently. Maybe it'd be a good Netflix series, but it's uh, <laughs> not the reality we live in. Yeah, no, there were, it was just surreal testimony. 
one gentleman, I believe his name was Cook, Michael Cook, talked about the four universal rules that every firearms owner knows. That's what's amazing. Just like everybody knows this without training, right, or any kind of course. Like, you, what is one of the universal rules? <laughs> don't shoot anyone? Well, no, look, it's rule one, assume all guns are always loaded. Rule two, don't point your gun at anything you don't want to destroy. Rule three, keep your finger off the trigger until you want to fire it. Rule four, make sure you know everything that's behind your target. If you follow those rules, there are no accidents. And I also don't understand, <laughs> maybe you guys can help me on this, but... You know, the founding fathers were brilliant and law came down from, 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 from God, right? But they wrote a Second Amendment that talks about a well-regulated militia. I just don't know, since they were so brilliant and far-seeing, why they said that thing about a well-regulated militia. So I do want to bring up uh, my neighbor, actually, because uh, my neighbor conceals... And, and, and you live out in, like, the rural community, I live in right? River West, okay. Wisconsin. That Milwaukee. It's a neighborhood in Milwaukee. <laughs> so uh, my neighbor uh, is great guy. He's a regular. He drives bus for the Milwaukee County, rides a Harley, or he did. He was in actually a very terrible accident and is in, in, in recovery. Great guy. Um, it is, uh, it's actually a, a multiracial family. He's a Latino, um, and if I, if I, there's nothing I could say to Louis to convince him that he should not conceal and carry. And Louis is super excited about this ability to not have to have a license, right? And I was talking with him just this Sunday about it, and he was standing next to me with his gun where it always is in his side. Um, and, you know, it's, it is, it's impossible. It's like a, there's a chasm because Louis obsessed with the idea that someone's literally going to come into his house. The government's going to come someday and get him. And, of course, Louis is also rightfully deeply concerned about the police and his interactions with the police. And so his position is he's only got himself, right? And no one's going to take that gun away from him. So it's a fascinating sort of window into his world. And this is not some, like, conservative troglodyte. This is... This is a union brother. This is someone who votes uh, Democratic uh, religiously, right? And, you know, has this uh, very similar economic uh, analysis that I have. But, like, we're worlds apart on this issue. So, um, but we need to keep talking about it because, you know, this is insane, insane that there wouldn't even be training. So, training, Matt, let's talk about things that you need training for. You need training, and you're required by law to have training to drive a car. Yeah. Did you go through driver's ed, Robert? I believe that's the uh, the 59th Amendment. The <laughs> right, to drive <laughs> the right to drive cars. Um, you need training to get a permit to drive a boat on one of our wonderful lakes, or you get pulled over by the DNR. Wait, do we still have a DNR? I'm confused. They're still around. I the guess. name still exists. Oh, the okay. Brand. So, so we have the Department of Natural Resources. Um, let's see. What else do you need training for that is maybe equally to or less dangerous than having a gun? Yeah, it's it's really hard to understand how we could think that you wouldn't want to have training for something that is presents such an overwhelmingly public health issue, right? I mean, and, and that is where we need to go more broadly, is that if we talk about this as a discussion of my neighbor Louis's right to have his his feelings about the gun versus our broader public health to have this proliferation of guns and the idea that you wouldn't have a training course, right? I mean, it's and it's Lou, crazy. Louis's going to get the permit, so I don't, you know, so we, we already Louis's. has the exactly. permit. I got news so for I'm you. I'm just saying this doesn't help Louis in any way, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, quite frankly, and I mean, there's a lot more danger coming from the other gun owners, ultimately, if there's civil unrest, quite frankly. And there's the other element we haven't mentioned is making it easier to carry guns on school grounds, which yeah. is certainly yeah. there's a large public out upswelling uh, unbelievable. to want that. But they found someone on Milwaukee Public Radio who said, I have a child. I used to pick him up at school. We would go hunting. We'd go duck hunting. I'd have a shotgun in the back seat. And so it's, it's, so it's problematic if she can't pull up to the school with her shotgun in the back seat. Well, look, I mean, we know that this is, <clears throat> excuse me, the right wing, the NRA gun lobby pushing this sort of legislation across the states. But 
in other areas where there's like deregulation for corporations around the environment, stakeholders are holding those companies accountable and demanding that regardless of what the Trump administration abolishes, they are still going to be responsible to their stakeholders and they're going to have protections in place because that's the right thing to do because it is a global economy and community and so that's the right thing to do. However, there's no similar um, feeling from the gun lobby. It's just like guns, guns, and more guns. Guns kill people. You know, people don't... Guns don't kill people. People kill people. Well... Have some have some responsibility, you know, take some pride. If you really believe in your product so much or, or what you're doing, then maybe you should take some responsibility for the community as well. One thing that I just want to mention before we, we go to break on this is, look, this is, um, this is a tough issue because it connects, obviously, to sort of the issues we have around mass incarceration, drugs, mental health, and the notion that, like, when you have prolific this proliferation of guns, how it can radically change, change someone's life. And I, you know, we're going to, it's going to be a tough, it could be a hard summer here in, in Milwaukee and a lot of communities around the state, um, given what we know is going on with the economy and what we already see happening. And we're at a critical point where we have an opportunity in this country to really go after mass incarceration and lower rates of incarceration and this whole movement and connecting it uh, is is dangerous, and and I really hope that we can be out front as progressives in really pushing the idea that we need to be seriously looking at what we're doing around incarceration. And this this is insane; these gun laws, right? Um, so uh, it's it's hopefully hopefully there'll be a it you know what I'm fearing this summer won't happen. But you know Sherman Park's only a year away, and we're headed into the summer, and you know we got this kind of stuff being passed in our legislature. And we haven't even talked about Jeff Sessions and what he's <laughs> proposing mm -hmm. in terms of which will only make mass incarceration worse, right? Um, and we will talk in future podcasts in greater detail about mass incarceration. We're actually going to be doing more work to try to uh, lower those rates here at Citizen Action and, and want to talk more about it. But, you know, this kind of legislation moves us in the wrong direction. So with that, we got to get out of here. We will be right back after the break to talk more about what's happening here in Wisconsin. So welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we are Citizen Action Wisconsin. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're also very active on Facebook and are regularly uh, posting about things that we think are really important and people ought to be following. So follow us on Facebook if you get an opportunity to. So I don't know if anyone else on the panel had any more before we jump in onto our next subject around uh, the concealed carry uh, excuse me, the constitutional carry uh, insanity that is uh, overtaking our state. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about health care, Robert. Um, we are sitting in a situation we talked about on the last podcast where the House has passed a horrendous bill. It appears that it is very unpopular. It will cost 23 million people their health insurance. And so it sits in a Senate where this week we have Senator Mitch McConnell, leader of uh, the Republicans in the Senate, suggesting that didn't see any way the Republican bill could pass, wasn't even sure that they could get 50 votes for any kind of health care repeal and replace. So, last, so that's sort of the update, which last show we talked about said that this was sort of the problem for us, that this is going to happen in quiet. And they're either not going to do it or get things together, or suddenly something's going to appear. Do we have any new news about whether something may suddenly appear in the Senate? Well, it's a secret process, so we don't. Those we, are all the, always the best processes. Right. Robert. We know Ron Johnson's part of it, so I know that gives us all, all a great deal of confidence. Um, so you're absolutely right. It's, a, it's like the reverse of the House process in that... We won't know what the deal is until they're about to vote on it. And McConnell, who's very wily, will not 
release it until he's about to do it. Now, they'll have to have a little bit of delay because they have agreed they're going to get a CBO score. So that is an advance in the fact-based part that we talked about before because the House rushed to try to pass their last one before <laughs> uh, the CBO. Why does it matter? Though? They'll uh, could, do what they want anyway. Could score it. <laughs> right. Um, and it will be different. So there'll be a challenge for the House. But they are really motivated to do this, and they want this to go away. Uh, they have a problem. In fact, I heard uh, Joe Antos, who's one of the, probably the top healthcare expert at the Heritage Foundation, uh, one of the, the the heart of the right wing conspiracy, saying that the polling is disturbing to him that most Americans now, including Republicans, would hold Trump and the Republicans responsible for anything wrong in the health system. So apparently, the blaming it on Obama part is not going to have legs for very or doesn't even now. And so that raises the political stakes for them even more. But the only thing that's made this hard is the protest movement that's unprecedented. And it has to continue as soon as we let up. Uh, they'll go and do this. Yeah, so it is uh, worth pointing out uh, this week there was an article that's been going around that came out of the uh, former CEO of Molina Healthcare. And just so folks know, Molina is like one of the largest, I think it is the largest healthcare company in the country. Um, uh, well, for managed care, it's not, it's not, it's not Humana or, or United Healthcare or WellPoint or anything like that. That's right. So it, it's the largest one that serves Medicaid recipients. Right. So obviously has a deep understanding and is in the marketplace at, at a fairly high it, level. That's its business model. Right? It's deliberately in the marketplace. So somebody who's really invested has really gone after the Republicans on here. And in particular, Jorna went after our good friend, Paul Ryan. Yes, Paul. and singled out Paul Ryan for basically nice. being highly unfactual. In fact, just flat whoa, out lying. Whoa, he never has done that. <laughs> he, he has promised that your coverage won't ever change. And he's a great policy expert, right? He knows his facts. He's wonky, right, Jorna? I mean, he just has the best interest of the people. Well, this guy basically said that Ryan is completely out to lunch on the death spiral. Huh. And, and flat out said that the death spiral... And Roberts talked about this as the sort of sabotage of healthcare mm -hmm. is really what's going on. That that if this goes down, right, and any sort of collapsing of the markets, and this guy would know, right, they're in the markets is being done by the Republicans, and that there's nothing actually innate or any aspect of the original Affordable Care Act that's causing a death spiral at this point. There are clearly problems with it, right, that are causing that it not... That could be fixed. Yes. It's like the car has this little sound, so it's the car, the car, let's just get rid of the car, right? The car's in a death spiral. Can we bring back the death panels as long as we're at it? Yeah, well, that's about the level of uh, facts that we have in this debate. It's been very surreal. Um, so, Robert, there's a State Connect this week to this, uh, and we want to give a shout out and give some uh, some word to the some Democratic leaders that have been uh, working to try to continue to draw attention to how ridiculously bad uh, the Republican uh the House bill is, and of course, to shape the environment, but to really say, hey, we got an opportunity here where we could actually do something in the state that would prevent the repeal of a lot of the protections that are in the Affordable Care Act. Talk, tell us more about uh, this legislation and what Citizen Action and uh, Representative Daniel Reamer are doing. And, and John Erpenbach and in Erpenbach. the Senate, who's really the, the leading health care uh, legislator in the Senate. Um, the, quite frankly... We have all this stuff where, oh, we're going to protect pre-existing conditions. The Trump, Trump says it. Republicans say it. When they don't do it, when they actually move a bill that allows states to seek a waiver, and Walker right away said he might want to get one of those waivers. And the Congressional Budget Office said states that go for these waivers, assuming the House bill ever became law, could destroy their individual health insurance markets. In other words, actually create the death spiral that Paul Ryan's lying about on the Affordable Care Act. And so you could, though, at the state level— Simply go and ban pre-existing condition discrimination, just for example. You could require that health insurance cover all the things health insurance should cover, which is one of the great reforms uh, that the Republicans in the House want to offer us. You know, health insurance should be cheaper if it really doesn't cover whole parts of the body or doesn't cover mental health or drug treatment, right, or pregnancy or maternity care or anything like that. And so this is, this is a great idea because it forces the issue – and if you can push this bill enough, Republicans in the legislature have to own what 
Paul Ryan and Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell are trying to do, but have to make a choice on an issue that's highly popular. If you don't offer a bill like this, then they can just uh, kind of duck, which is what uh, politicians love to do in these sort of situations. Well, the other thing that I I think is really important about this legislation, and I hope our listeners and other folks um, you know pick up, is it points out these are the things that actually cost money, right? And so when the Senate comes out, and if they ever are able to come out with a bill and it gets scored by CBO, the big question is going to be, all right, so how many people are losing their health care, right? How many of these protections are we essentially jettisoning in order to reduce the amount of costs that it, that that uh, health insurance industry is going to take on? And, and so really what this is, this is the core of, of really what the Affordable Care Act is critically important at, at, at uh, preventing. And really what Senator Johnson and really the critical question here, what the U.S. senators, the Republicans have to decide is, are they going to protect these things and uh, or, you know, come out with a bill that has, oh, maybe 14 million people who lose their health care? Or are we going to be in a position where we pressure them where they don't come out with anything, Right. And so that's really what we're looking for here. We're looking for to never hear anything come out of the Senate because we're probably in trouble if there's word well, that, that there's a deal, right? So our goal is to get government to do nothing. Well, on this there's one, a first for everything. On this one, unfortunately, yes. it's like we have to sort of bring this whole repeal and replace to kind of a grinding halt, and it will be because of public uprising calls into Senator Johnson's office about fundamentally yes. these protections that are in the Affordable Care Act that we all need as human beings. So I don't think you ever see Ron Johnson voting our way, but the question is, is he so worried about, say, the per capita cap in Medicaid, which would devastate rural areas, right, in Wisconsin, okay. um, and, uh, and in many ways punish the state of Wisconsin, which has a highly inefficient, a very efficient Medicaid system already. And so, in other words, there aren't any savings for us to find, like other states, that he's crankier in the group of 12 writing the bill and they can't reach agreement. So we need to kind of open our view of what protest does, and even pushing, not really protesting, but continuing to call even allies makes them feel even stronger, like, oh my God, I got 20, I got 250 phone calls each day on healthcare, I'm going to figure out what even more I can do, right, to stop this. So don't, we shouldn't just be contacting swing votes. In fact, we should even put con, uh, pressure on Sensenbrenner, just for example, well, which, look, which, which, which folks in, the, in Waukesha, very hardy folks, are certainly doing. Yeah, obviously, all of all of these uh, House folks are going to be back in play if the Senate passes anything. So they should definitely stay on our radar. But again, you can reach Senator Ron Johnson at 202-224-5323. Again, 202-224-5323. Please give him a call. And if you live in uh, you know more of a rural area, feel free to let him know, right? Like, Johnson did very well in a lot of these rural areas that we talk about that get contested between sort of Democrats and Republicans from election cycle. And these are the areas that are getting absolutely pounded, not only in some of what's in Trump's budget, but particularly we know that this health care bill, as Robert talked about, right. devastates rural areas. So it's important so that he be reminded of that. There's both badger care and then there's the fact that people in these areas have fewer employers and therefore they're more likely to buy their insurance and the individual market. So they benefit the most. And uh, they need so Johnson needs to hear from all of you. So get on the phone, call Senator Johnson, and we'll be right back. So welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we are Citizen Action, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're also available on Facebook. But if you're hearing us on 1510 AM in Milwaukee or another radio station, you can find us available. We are a podcast, so you can find us on iTunes. And if you go to iTunes, like us, it helps. Uh, hate us. Like us. Whatever you want to do. There's no hate button on iTunes. Go give us a five. Give us a five out of ten. No, go to. Uh, you can find <laughs> us on iTunes. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can also go to our Facebook page and find the podcast. Particularly if you don't get us at the three o'clock Sunday time that we are on twelve fifteen or fifteen fifteen ten. Excuse me. At three o'clock at Sunday. three p.m. Wow. Sunday afternoon. Well, Sunday, 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 yeah, three yeah. p.m. No, you can hear Battleground Wisconsin. That's what I'll be doing this weekend. We'll be uh, <laughs> racing. No. Uh, 
So, hey, b- before we close this podcast and radio show today, we got to talk about the uh, Donald Trump. And we got to talk Why? about... Why? Uh, because well, he's uh, basically trying to melt down the world, Jorna, if you haven't heard. Uh, by like the t- literally <laughs> melt down the world. <laughs> literally try to melt down the world. So by the time this podcast or you listen to this radio show, most likely Donald Trump's big Thursday afternoon event will have happened and we will have pulled out of the Paris Global Climate Accords, which were negotiated over many, many years. And as I think we've talked before, are sort of a lowest bar to try to not stop a complete catastrophe. It's not clear that Paris would even do that, but it would at least be a modest step. But uh, we are going to pull out. So again, we talked earlier on this podcast about, we talked about the DNR magazine, they can't talk about climate change, this whole uh, anti-science world that we seem to be living in. Uh, This is devastating. Robert, I know you are someone who has you know feels very strongly about the Paris Accord. We think it's very important and think it's critical in terms of when we're thinking about how you restructure an economy that we actually try to meet these accords. But it sounds like they may be pulling out. And the question to the panel is, does it even matter? Does it matter? Is this moving? And is Trump so out of step? And this is so out of step with the world that like, we're going to be dragged along regardless, and this is just purely a political move to appease his base? No, it unfortunately matters. I'd love to say that we can let Trump Darn. be Trump, and yeah. he can be a child in the sandbox, right? Uh, Paris is our best chance to keep global uh, climate increase below 2% uh, Celsius, which is the way to prevent the worst, most genocidal kind of consequences. It still re- will require a lot in order to achieve that. And so you had a weird situation where even even Exxon is calling for President Trump not to pull out. Tillerson uh, whole, is. Tillerson, Tillerson is, like, is. A whole bunch of what? other corporate, major corporate yeah. CEOs. I mean, and you know, some of them aren't necessarily caring about future generations. They realize that there's a lot of possible jobs and profit in this economic yes. transition. And so we're going to fall behind the rest of the world and let China and Europe and India become the leaders, and China's already declared it wants to be the leader on this, and it wants to produce more um, renewable energy in, in 15 years than the United States, uh, all United States energy, so massive amounts. So, of course, they'll have the technology, and they will also reap the profits of selling it to the rest of the world. And so there's both the kind of moral responsibility part of actually listening to the to, to the, the overwhelming scientific consensus that the right wants to deny, uh, that there is man-made climate change that is dangerous for the future of the species, and they, they claim to love children, but, you know, grandchildren and great-grandchildren, or sooner potentially, because one of the problems is that you can't predict the pace, and if you destabilize the climate, the, the change could be much more rapid than we think. So we can't necessarily say this is all happening in 2075. It could be happening much earlier than that. Uh, but then there's just the fact that since we're, we hemorrhage jobs, like Wisconsin is hemorrhaging jobs, right, that the uh, global climate change is a huge opportunity to transition our economy and to create a lot of jobs. And if we did it mindfully in a way that created jobs for the people who need them most, which we could certainly do, we actually could create a full employment living wage economy that prevented a climate catastrophe. So, But we literally have a, an ideology. This isn't just about Trump's personality, right? We have an ideology that doesn't want to recognize any of that and wants to live in, in the 1950s or maybe the 1890s. Well, you know, like I referenced earlier, Robert, um, there at least are a lot of national, international corporations who are still going to be accountable to their shareholders uh, that will provide some protections, which we're lucky. But in general, this is this is just, as you're saying, an attitude toward, um, you know, the today and not the tomorrow in any way and how this makes us all, you know, richer in our campaign coffers and deteriorates democracy and rights and, you know, community. Um, the one thing I would say is that perhaps Trump's budget should increase the budget line to NASA so that when we do destroy the planet, we can figure out where we're colonizing. Um, well, <laughs> sorry, sure Matt. Not. That sure was, that was a, that's a real thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, mean, we're going to destroy our planet. This is like WALL-E, right? So here's, here's what I find 
really fascinating about this whole thing is this guy ran on Make America Great Again. It's it's very clear this will not bring back coal. You know, this will not bring back the jobs. It won't make America great again. It's going to hurt America, not only just in the world, obviously, with the global catastrophe, but economically, right? Robert, you mentioned that if we don't get into the game here, other countries are. Other, this is moving. Jordan, you mentioned that you know, Duke Energy, there's a whole bunch of people that are already well down this road, right. right? And there's a full economy that's already starting to build on its own in spite of Donald Trump. It's already much larger than the coal industry. Exactly. Much larger. So, like, is this... I mean, does does he pay any price? Because, because the anti-science is so powerful right now. There's just sort of this... That in this this combined with this sort of this political base that he's fostered around this issue, um, I don't know, man. This is like this is like really hurting yourself just for a very very temporary short term political gain. It's- I, instead of making America great again, it appears the new campaign slogan is "Piss off the international community again." But I thought it was an historic tour, <laughs> that it was unbelievable. It was the most incredible foreign tour ever by any it was. American it was president. the most bigly. That's yes. what the, the word meant, the secret Big. coding <gasps> on the word. The it was Kofefi. around Kofefi. It was over Paris Accords. It was a... Yeah. Says Sean Spicer Swa- oh. from a bush <laughs> somewhere in oh the White House. And here's the problem, ah. Matt. You were asking about you know what the uh, how, how this gets resolved ultimately. There were a lot of Republicans, and there are a few, and a few conservatives that that uh, that actually listened to the science. But around 2008, 2009, it became a rally around the flag kind of thing because Obama might actually do something. Where conservatives really rallied because they didn't want the government to restructure the economy, which is what you actually need to do to both create a, fu- a full employment, living wage economy, and save the planet. And so they're ideologically dug in. So we have to see whether there start to be fissures in terms of conservative public opinion. But this looks so bad, and it, it, it's so embarrassing. Though, by the way, Americans being embarrassed by uh, f- by the opinion of other foreign countries doesn't actually seem to do anything but make it w- make 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 some elements of our country, the conservative elements, act even worse. Ah, right? That's what's so disturbing about this. Right? There's so much political gain for Trump in doing this, but so much long-term devastation to the very people he's ostensibly trying to help. But that has been the Trump conundrum, right? Um, well, it's and- what a demagogue does, Matt. A demagogue <laughs> makes things worse and then capitalizes on the damage he does to build more power. So with that, we need to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we are Citizen Action Wisconsin, and you can find us at www.citizenactionwi.org, and we are on Facebook. And as always, we want to thank Brian Wooldridge, our producer who makes the podcast happen. He's the best. He is the best. We can't do this show without him. And so we will see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin. (laughs) 